0: The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised.
1: This episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast has been brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards, Two Centuries of Fruit Tree Expertise. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poizner of the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show.
0: Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan Live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gbell.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner.
1: Hi, everyone. Did you know that this is the 47th episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast? The last 47 shows have been lots of fun, and each month I look forward to getting together with you all to explore topics related to fruit trees and food forests, permaculture and arboriculture. During the live shows, so many of you email in questions and comments, and I really love that. It's lovely because we're developing a personal relationship. And yet, one of the best ways to get to know somebody is to share a meal with them. So that's what we're going to do in the show today. Now, what's on the menu? Well, I thought it would be fun to create a feast that includes a whole bunch of really easy-to-grow perennial vegetables. And I'm hoping this episode will inspire us all to be more experimental in planting perennial vegetable crops. The great thing about perennial vegetables is that you don't have to plant those seeds each and every year because they just come back on their own. And many of these plants grow really well in that shady corner of your garden where berries and fruit trees and other plants just won't thrive. So my guest today is Ben Caesar of Fiddlehead Nursery in Kimberley, Ontario. Ben specializes in growing and selling rare edible perennials, and he's going to introduce us to some perennial edibles that we've never heard of before, and he will integrate them into today's feast. So I hope you guys are all hungry. Now during the live show, you may have questions or you may have comments, so do send them in to us. Write us at instudio101 at gmail.com and include your first name and where you're writing from. Ask a question, send in a comment, or just write in to say hi, and you could win today's prize. So today's prize is a book by Steve and Emma Biggs. It's called Grow Gardeners, Kid-Tested Gardening with Children. Steve and Emma have their own gardening show on realityradio101.com. And so you may want to check that out, too. Anyways, write to us right now at intstudio101 at gmail.com and you will be entered into the contest. I look forward to hearing from you. So now it's time to dig into our perennial vegetable feast. Ben Caesar, welcome to the show today.
2: Thanks very much for having me, Caesar.
1: I'm so glad you're here. Now, Ben, I really want to get to know you. I want to know more about you and how you got into growing perennial vegetables. But at all good dinner parties, people get to know each other while nibbling on some sort of appetizer. Isn't that true?
2: It is, generally, yeah.
1: Yeah, so what what appetizer, perennial vegetable appetizer, would you put on our menu today?
2: So I just recently have gotten into making pickles from some of the perennial edibles that I find here. And so I would I would have a few pickles laid out, perhaps with a little a few cheese and crackers uh, on the side. But uh I've got pickled wild leeks, pickled sweet Sicily seeds, and pickled Chinese artichokes.
1: Mm. Sounds delicious. Can you tell me a little bit uh about those things?
2: Sure. Now most people are familiar with wild leeks. Uh they're abundant uh where I live in the Beaver Valley. And they are one of the best wild edibles uh, that you can grow, but you can also grow them in your garden. So I have a small patch in my food forest here, and I don't harvest much from the, the patch in my garden, but I use it as an indicator patch to let me know when the wild ones are ready. So when mine are coming up under my apple tree, I will head for the hills where there are acres of wild leeks, and harvest some of those and pickle them. Um, Now, Sweet Sicily is a shade-loving perennial. It looks like a fern, but it's actually not a fern. Uh, But the whole plant tastes like licorice. And one of the best harvests you get from this plant are the unripe seeds. So the seeds are quite large, but when they're about three-quarters of their mature size, they are still green, and they're very tender and mild, and they're like little licorice candies. So this year, for the first time, I tried pickling them, and they are delectable. Very nice. And then Chinese artichokes. That is a crop that is cultivated commonly in China and has been for thousands of years. And now it's cultivated in some parts of Europe as well. Um, they, it's a member of the mint family, and the, uh, the plant grows little tubers underground. They're about an inch and a half long and maybe three-quarters of an inch in diameter, and they, they look like little grubs. They have little uh, nodules on them, but they're pretty easy to clean, and then they make wonderful pickles. They're a lot like water chestnuts, so very mild in flavor, but uh, a, a lot of crunch, so they go very nicely in salads. but uh, the Chinese traditionally pickle them, and they make fantastic pickles.
1: Oh, that sounds absolutely delectable. Okay, so as we nibble on our pickles, with, of course, cheese on the side and crackers, um, tell, me, tell me how did you get involved with growing uh, and experimenting with perennial vegetables?
2: Sure. Um, I was living in Guelph when I met, I met a guy named Aaron Hughes, who invited me to come and plant a field of nut trees with him. And he told me about permaculture. I, at that time, was not a gardener. I was interested in organic farming, but uh, I didn't know anything about permaculture. And he told me about edible forest gardening and this idea that you can design an edible landscape that acts like a natural ecosystem. So that really piqued my interest, and I borrowed a few books from him, and then I started experimenting in my yard in Guelph and put a... uh, an edible forest garden in there. So I planted some fruit trees and some berry bushes and then planted as many perennial vegetables as I could find. Uh, but it was difficult to find a lot of these. So that sort of piqued my interest in, and made, uh, made it seem like there, there might be a niche market for a perennial vegetable nursery. So I was dreaming of that for quite a while before I started up Fiddlehead Nursery in 2012.
1: So 2012, you took the plunge. You were not even a gardener before that. What was it like in the early years?
2: Well, I was a gardener in Guelph for for many years before moving up to the Beaver Valley and starting the nursery. So I certainly had uh, a bit of growing experience, but not a lot of propagation experience under my belt. So I learned from books mainly. Uh, I also have a friend who has a nursery nearby, and she took me under her wing. Her name is Anastasia Sparling she runs the Beaver Valley Flower Farm and she was really good to me and sort of showed me the ropes in my early days and uh and so a lot of it was experimentation and I sort of learned uh as in trial by fire really um but I'm really passionate about it and I love experimenting with with new crops every year so um so it's it's a really wonderful Uh, way to make part of my living I don't this isn't my entire living I'm a carpenter so I I do carpentry in the winter but during the growing season the nursery is all I do uh, which is tremendously satisfying
1: that sounds wonderful and we have an email from Phil Phil writes hi Susan listening from Manitoba does your guest have a website I want to look more into perennial vegetables thank you very much Phil
2: well, hi, Phil. That's, uh, that's an excellent question. I do have a website. It's fiddleheadnursery.ca, and there's lots of information. If you click on the plants button on the website, it'll, uh, it'll bring up the selection of plants that we carry, and there's a lot of information on each of the plants that we carry in the greenhouse.
1: So are all perennial vegetables easy to grow? I think that's what I like and what I'm looking for. If I'm going to have a perennial plant coming back, I want it to be delicious. I want it to be easy.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Perennial vegetables are easy to grow in general. There are some that are a little trickier than others. But the easiest perennial vegetables to grow are those that form a good ground cover. So there are a lot of great perennial edibles that form a ground cover which keeps the soil shaded, which means that the moisture doesn't evaporate from the soil and also weeds have a harder time germinating. So a a great example of that would be uh, seedless sorrel. Seedless sorrel is one of my top ten perennial vegetables. It gets to be about a foot wide and a foot tall, so if you plant a patch of seedless sorrel about eight inches apart, a whole bunch of plants all together, then the leaves will overlap, and they will form a ground cover that doesn't let any weeds through, and the whole thing is edible. So um, all perennials are are easier than annuals, I would say, to grow once they get established. Uh, But you need to establish ground covers Uh, to make your garden truly low maintenance.
1: Hmm. Interesting. And you talk about seedless sorrel. So we used to grow sorrel, and it was great. We used the leaves. I can't even remember what we'd put them in, um, soups and stuff. But then, yeah, it went to seed, and it was kind of ugly. It was not attractive.
2: (laughs) Yes, yeah. Seedless sorrel is great because sorrel generally gets bitter when it produces a seed stock, like many crops do. Seed in the sorrel never goes to seed, and so it stays productive and tender and mild in flavor throughout the growing season. So you can eat it, it's one of the first greens to come up in the spring. It comes up in early April around here, and then you can eat it right through until the first frost.
1: And what so do you do with the, the sorrel that you I, harvest?
2: I eat a lot of it raw, it's fantastic in salads, uh, it's very sour. Uh, A lot of people liken it to to lemon or sour apples, so it has a a really nice uh, um, flavor, but it also has a marvelous texture. It's very crunchy. It just melts in the mouth, and so uh, having it raw is fantastic. I eat a lot of uh, egg sandwiches, and I always put sorrel in my egg sandwiches. I, I find it goes really nicely with eggs.
1: Mm, maybe. But I also cook it. You know what? For our appetizer, let's have some little uh, finger sandwiches, egg sandwiches with sorrel. That sounds delicious. I could go for that. Great idea. <laughs> um, so you said you do experiment every year. You've got your winter where you're doing carpentry, and then you're so excited. When the growing season happens, you're experimenting with new things. How do you get your ideas of new types of perennial vegetables to plant
2: well i have learned most of what i know from books so uh, there are a number of fantastic books out there on perennial vegetables but there are also some great websites on uh, perennial edibles and people from around the world join in um, there's a, there are a couple of facebook groups uh, that are really good and i'd highly recommend them one is called edimentals the Edimentals Facebook group so it's a conjunction of edible and ornamental so this is run this was started by Stephen Barstow Um, he's a grower in Norway and he's experimented with more than 2,000 edible perennials in his garden so he's hugely knowledgeable about this stuff and he's been experimenting for 30 or 40 years with, with these plants So he's a wealth of knowledge. And then people pitch in from around the world on these pages um, and, and tell about their experiments. There's another one called Propagating Edible Perennials on Facebook, which is also a fantastic resource for those people who are growing and propagating edible perennials.
1: Now, you live in a cooler climate, you know, here in Ontario, but there are listeners, we've got listeners in California and Florida. Are there, are you aware of the uh, perennial edibles that they can grow as well, that maybe we can't grow? And would those Facebook groups have discussions about all sorts of uh, climates and what perennial vegetables would work there?
2: Yeah, generally, there are people from all different climate zones on these Facebook groups, and I'm envious of the people listening in California and further south because there are a whole host of excellent perennial vegetables that I can't grow here because they just won't survive the winter. So I would love to experiment with with some of the things. There are actually more perennial vegetables down south than there are up north. Hmm. And so um, there's a great book. The, The first book actually written on perennial vegetables was called Perennial Vegetables by Eric Tonsmeyer and it covers perennial vegetables uh, from the northern boreal regions right down to the tropics. So it's a fantastic resource for those looking for information about perennial vegetables.
1: So we have an email here from Ruth. Ruth says, hi, I would love to try perennial vegetable gardening. Two questions. To start off, what are the easiest plants to grow? And question number two, when to plant. Thank you. Listening in Toronto.
2: The easiest perennial vegetables to grow, as I said before, are those that make a good ground cover. So uh, uh, I can list off a couple of the ones that are best for that. There's uh, hostas. Hostas are one of the easiest plants to grow, which is why they're so popular uh, in ornamental gardens. Hostas are great uh, because they're beautiful and they make a perfect ground cover. Nothing grows up through hostas. In fact, you can plant hostas right into the grass as long as there's some shade and the hosta will take over and outcompete the grass. And it's the shoots of the hosta in the spring that are edible. Um, hostas, and hardly anybody knows that hostas are edible, but uh, in Japan, you can find them at the supermarket. They're quite a commonly consumed vegetable in Japan. Um, and it's it's when they're first coming up, the, the leaves are tightly curled spears. And as long as they're tightly curled, you can cut them right down to the ground. And then the hosta will respond by sending up new shoots, and you let those live. So you just get one harvest off each plant. Uh, and you take those shoots, and you can steam them. You can cook them any way you would asparagus. Um... And they're great, very mild, very tender, a little butter, a little salt and pepper, and they, they're an excellent uh, vegetable. Um, and another one is uh, Solomon's seal. This is another one that's grown quite often as an ornamental. And again, it's the shoots in the spring that make a very nice vegetable. So when Solomon's seal comes up, the leaves are still tightly clasped to the stalk and you can cut about a third of a patch at a time. It won't grow from where you cut it, Uh, so you have to be careful about not denuding your patch too much. But Solomon's seal slowly spreads to form a colony, so I harvest from around the outside of the colony. And then you peel the leaves off and discard them because they're bitter, but the stalk itself, you can either eat raw or you can cook it lightly. And uh, it's a very, very easy, vegetable
1: to grow does it does it matter if you go to the garden center for instance and get hostas they've got 10 million different cultivars there's the the ones that are variegated there's the ones that are an interesting blue color are you telling me that all those cultivars will be edible or is there a certain type of hosta you know that you would need to buy in order to make sure it's an edible one
2: That's a great question and a question I get all the time, and the answer is they're all edible. Mm. Every hosta is edible. There are about eight different species of hosta, and they've all been hybridized to form the ornamental varieties that we find. Yeah, and there are thousands of varieties, and they're all edible. I generally plant the large-leaved varieties just because you get more food off of them. The shoots are quite a bit bigger than the smaller-leaved varieties in the spring, and they provide a, a really substantial meal. So, um, but yeah, any hostas edible and I encourage everybody out there who happens to have hostas in their yard, eat your hostas next spring. Hmm. Try them. They're just you'll be shocked at how wonderful they are.
1: And and just to the her question about when to plant them, you can plant them yeah. anytime. You can plant them in the spring.
2: You can plant them anytime. I do plant things throughout the growing season. The best plant time to plant uh is Spring and fall Um, that's because the cooler weather uh, and the more abundant rain in the spring and fall uh, generally uh, helps plants along and so plants generally when you plant them in the ground they'll go through transplant shock and so if it's not sweltering hot then they'll do better than if you plant them in the heat of summer but if you do plant in the summer you just have to be sure that you keep them really well watered and then they do fine
1: now, we have a question from Aaron. So Aaron says, Hi, Susan, I have two things that I would like to share with the listeners. First, my favorite book about perennial veggies is called Around the World in 80 Plants by Stephen Barstow. Stephen is an expert on perennial edibles and has grown around 8,000 species in his small garden in Norway, with about 2,000 species surviving, surviving at any given time. The other thing I would like to share is my nursery. I have a very similar operation to your guest, but for listeners in the United States, it's probably easier to buy from me because of the limits on shipping plants across borders. I'm not currently shipping plants, but I will start again in September. And he says my website is edgewood-nursery.com. Thanks for the great topic. That's cool. It's good to know because often when we get a guest on the show and then somebody, because half of our listeners are in the States and half in Canada, and they're like, hey, how do I get this in the States? So that's really nice that Aaron wrote in.
2: For sure, for sure. It's great to hear about your nursery, Aaron, and uh, um, I'll certainly look it up myself. I, I love to see what other people are growing. And unfortunately, I don't ship plants at all, even in Canada, so it's difficult for a lot of people to to find the plants that I grow uh, unless they come to me. So it's great that you uh, that you manage to ship plants. It's, um, it's tricky to ship plants. My operation is fairly small, so I haven't got there yet, but I plan to in the future. And I will say that Around the World in 80 Plants, the book by Stephen Barstow is just fantastic, and I completely agree that he is a world expert. He's the guy who runs the Edimental Facebook group. And, uh, and his book is just a wealth of knowledge, not only about how to grow perennial vegetables in your garden, but also how they're used. He's done extensive research on how these vegetables are used and cultivated in uh, their native countries. Uh, so he goes around the world and examines how these plants are, um, are, are either wild foraged or, or cultivated for the vegetable market.
1: That sounds fantastic. So, okay. So, so far you and I, we've shared an appetizer. I really like those pickles. They are absolutely delicious. And we've gotten to know each other a little. Yes, I enjoy your cooking. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: So after the commercial break, we are going to go to our next course, are we not? I think we have a perennial vegetable salad coming up.
2: That's right.
1: Good. I'm looking forward to that. All
2: right.
1: So can you, are you okay holding the line for just a few minutes? For sure. And we shall hear a few words from our sponsors, and uh, we'll be back. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is RealityRadio101.com. And I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. We'll be back right after the break.
3: Stark Brothers is primarily a direct-to-consumer marketer of fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees. We do this on a national basis. We're the largest as far as what we do, and we've been doing it for 200 years. Company started in 1816 when James Hart Stark brought his family and a satchel full of apple science across the Mississippi River, settled here in what is now Louisiana, Missouri. The big first apple for Stark Brothers was the Red Delicious apple and it started in 1893 and then 20 years later in 1914 the Golden Delicious apple was mailed to the facility here. Two thirds of all the apples eaten in the world today are cousins of these two apples. Essentially they have the DNA of the Red Delicious or Golden Delicious apple in their DNA. We have about eight acres of warehouses and we have between 350 and 400 acres of Field production going on every year, which is split into two crops, the crop you're budding and the crop you're selling. We have about five acres of greenhouses.
1: We offer a wide variety of product. We're growing woody fruit trees, small fruits, raspberries, blueberries, knockout roses, kiwis. There's always a new product coming out or a new technique.
3: E-commerce has changed our business model completely, and we recognize we're open 24-7, and the customer wants their merchandise faster and sooner than they ever have. What works well with us is that, one, we're centrally located. That 75% of our customer base is within two days' time in transit. We'll send an email on a Monday, and if you place your order today or tomorrow, you'll be planting this weekend.
1: Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Learn more at starkbros.com. Hi everyone, it's Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. Did you know I'm offering a free mini fruit tree care course to you this month? It's called Fruit Tree Fundamentals and you can check it out at OrchardPeople.com workshops. I'll share some of my top fruit tree growing tips with you and give you a few bonus ebooks as well. So check out my free online video course this month at orchardpeople.com slash workshops. Growing fruit trees is about giving and receiving. You offer your fruit trees correct hands-on care, and they'll thank you with organic harvests for years to come. Enjoy your fruit trees.
0: Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is nstudio101 at gmail.com. Now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner.
1: You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101 and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. Today on the Urban Forestry Radio Show, we're having a little bit of a dinner party. It's a meal made up mostly of perennial vegetables. These plants are easy to grow, they come back every year, and they taste great. My guest on the show today is Ben Caesar of Fiddlehead Nursery in Kimberley, Ontario. And Ben specializes in growing and selling rare edible perennials. And in the first part of the show, we had our appetizer. I want to know did you enjoy it? Are you looking forward to the rest of the meal? Or do you have a question or comment for my guest on the show today? Write us at instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from, and you could win today's prize. A copy of Emma and Steve Biggs' book, Grow Gardeners, Kid-Tested Gardening with Children, a four-step approach. So Ben, what are we going to have for our next course in our Perennial Vegetable Feast?
2: Well, I thought we'd have a perennial salad. Uh, th- the great thing about perennials is that they complement an annual vegetable garden perfectly because the most tender and the most uh, um, bountiful harvest is in the spring when there's really not much else coming out of the, uh, the annual vegetable garden. So um, I to, to make a salad, I usually bring two bowls out into the garden. One is for collecting the greens and one is for collecting flowers because there are a lot of edible flowers that come up that uh, make a salad beautiful and even more flavorful. So, maybe I'll uh, go over some of the greens first. Now, you can categorize the greens into two different categories. Um, One is the bulk salad ingredients. So these are things like iceberg lettuce that are not entirely very flavorful themselves, but they add bulk and they add texture to the salad. So in the perennial garden, uh, this salad would be uh, made around early June. So let's say around June 10th. Um, And at that time, you've got lots of things coming out of the garden that are perfect for bulk salad. So uh, one would be Caucasian spinach, this is a climbing vine from the Caucasus region and it's a fantastic perennial vegetable. The shoots in the spring can be used like asparagus but then the leaves can be used throughout the growing season. They're very mild in flavor. They taste a lot like spinach actually and, uh, and it can climb up into an apple tree if you plant it beneath an apple tree. So we'll collect some of those. There's also basswood leaves at this time of year are wonderful salad greens. So when basswood leaves Bathwood is a native tree. They get to be 80 feet tall, but I coppice mine to keep them small. So I cut them down in the winter and allow them to regrow so that the leaves are within picking height. And when the leaves are half size and still shiny, they're a wonderful salad green. So we'll, we'll go with some of those. There's also Scorzonera, which is an herbaceous perennial. That was formerly cultivated as a root vegetable in Europe and still is on a small scale. But the leaves make a nice lettuce substitute.
1: And what was and the last plant called again? I didn't get it's that. It's called scorzonera. How do you spell that?
2: It's S C O R Z O N E R A.
1: Okay. Yeah. So we so far then, we have three types of greens so far. That sounds amazing.
2: Yeah, and then uh, stone crop. Stone crop is. Commonly planted in gardens, there's a, there's a really commonly planted variety called Autumn Joy. There's another one called Matrona. These are the tall sedums that you'll often see blooming in the fall in, in people's gardens, and they have really thick, succulent leaves that make an excellent salad green. A lot of people don't know that you can eat sedums, but they are one of my favorite salad greens, and you can eat them throughout the growing season. So if you have these growing in your garden try them. They're really now,
1: nice. when you say about eating sedums, you can only eat stone crop. You can't eat your autumn joy flowers and stuff like that. Not mm, all sedums.
2: The, f- the flowers are bitter. All sedums are edible technically, but the low growing ground cover sedums are pretty bitter. So it's only the tall stone crops that I consider edible, really. And they're very mild in flavor. And what they lend to a salad is a really nice juiciness and a nice texture. So they're pretty crunchy.
1: Hmm. So we've got four types of greens. That sounds lovely. And then I, what?
2: And and then there's seedless sorrel, which I always throw in a salad because it's really easy to harvest and it lends a wonderful lemony flavor to the salads. And uh, another one is sweet fennel, which is a perennial. It's related to the bulb fennel that you'll find at farmers' markets, but sweet fennel is a perennial whereas bulb fennel is biennial, So so, so sweet fennel, it's just the greens that you eat, but they're very sweet and they taste like licorice. And uh, so that's a wonderful one for for the salad. Um, And then I flavor the salad with things like chocolate mint, which is a wonderful mint variety for salads. Uh, Anise hyssop, which is another licorice-flavored herb. Um, So these ones, I just put a little bit into the salad to flavor them up. And then sweet Sicily is also a fantastic, very sweet, uh, wonderful salad green in the spring. And then uh, Mitsuba is a a type of Japanese parsley. Uh, It's not actually related to to parsley, but uh, it tastes a little like parsley, but it's a wonderful flavored herb. And uh, And then we can add some flowers. So in early June, uh, the flowers coming out of the garden are columbine. All columbine flowers are edible. Uh, Turkish rocket is a perennial brassica that is cultivated in the former USSR uh, for the unopened flower buds. But when the flower buds open, they're little yellow flowers, and they're a bit spicy, but they're, they taste a lot like broccoli, and they're beautiful in a salad. And then sweet pink, which is a type of dianthus, uh, have beautiful white and purple and pink frilly flowers. And then I often use another stone crop, uh, Purple Emperor, uh, which has dark purple leaves to decorate the top of a salad as well.
1: Mm. Sounds beautiful, Uh, just beautiful. And I guess, you know, we eat with our eyes as well as with our mouth, you know?
2: For sure. What kind of dressing
1: would you put on all of this?
2: I would put a very simple dressing of say, four or five parts olive oil to one part apple cider vinegar, and then maybe some salt and pepper, and maybe a little maple syrup to sweeten it up a little bit, but it's not even really necessary. So I would go as simple as possible because you want the flavors of the herbs to really shine. So I would dress it quite lightly as well, because at that time of year, with all the stone crop and the juicy greens from the garden, you really don't need much dressing. One product I sell through the nursery are uh, mini salad sandwiches, which is just uh, a little, a a combination of about six or seven different herbs um, on a toothpick, and I sell them for 25 cents, so it's really just a little sampler, and there's no salad dressing at all on those, and they're perfectly juicy and crunchy and and wonderful to eat just on their own. Hmm.
1: It's amazing that, you know, when you start to take away, like so many of us have this diet with lots of processed foods, and when you take that away and you start to really taste the flavors of the food we eat, we realize how blessed we are to have such diversity in foods, especially if you're growing things like perennial vegetables. For sure.
2: And perennial vegetables really offer the opportunity of growing a huge diversity of different crops. Uh, A perennial vegetable garden can have fifty or sixty different species in it quite easily in a fairly small space and so that not only makes your diet more uh... diverse uh... but it also makes your garden much more resilient Uh, the thing about perennials is that they are more resilient than annual crops because they develop deep extensive root systems that can access moisture and nutrients in the subsoils, and so they're they're much easier to grow, and, uh, and it's healthier for the garden as well.
1: Fantastic. Now, we have a question here from Sean. Hello, what an interesting topic, to say the least. Who knew, he says, edible perennials. Love the show. Thank you. I live in Lexington, Kentucky.
2: Wow, <laughs> that's great. Thanks for the encouragement, Sean.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for emailing in. So, folks, how, what do you guys think about this menu? I am just... Wow, it sounds delicious so far. I can't wait to hear about the main course. So, Ben, why don't we take a few more minutes? We're going to hear a few words from our sponsors, and then it's time for the main part of the meal. We are going to eat our main course. I can't wait to hear what you have in stock for all of us. (laughs) Are you okay holding on the line for another minute or two?
2: Absolutely.
1: Okay, great. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. I'm Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and we will be back in just a moment.
4: In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to earthalivect.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life.
5: If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Whiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62 page full color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalogue, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffletree Nursery. Call us today.
0: Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host, Susan Poisner.
1: You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, of the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. Thanks for tuning in. So today, my guest is Ben Caesar of Fiddlehead Nursery in Kimberley, Ontario. And since Ben is an expert in easy-to-grow perennial vegetables, we are having a perennial vegetable dinner party on the show today. And we are so enjoying sharing it with you. And we want to know if you're enjoying the menu. So send us an email at instudio101 at gmail.com. If you email us during the live show, you'll be entered into today's contest and you could win a copy of Emma and Steve Biggs' excellent little book, Kid-Tested Gardening with Children, valued at $14.95. Now, if you've just tuned in, you've already missed the appetizer and the salad in our perennial vegetable meal. If you want a taste of what came earlier in the show, you can always download the podcast at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. But now is the time to dig into the main course, and I myself am getting quite hungry. So Ben, I have my crisp white napkin tucked into my shirt. My knife and fork are ready to go. What's for the main course today?
2: Well, I was fortunate enough to catch some trout in the Beaver River across the road from me. So I'm going to pan fry a bit of trout, and along with that, have some roasted perennial vegetable shoots. So I've chosen hosta and sea kale to profile, but asparagus could also be included. Um, So hostas, I've already said, uh, described them a little bit, Um, but one technique that I'll share with you that I use quite a bit here is blanching or forcing, which is simply uh, covering the shoots just as they emerge from the ground with a black pot. So I usually use just a a plant pot, and I cover the holes with duct tape. And as soon as I see hosta shoots emerging from the soil, I'll, I'll cover them with the pot. I'll put a stone over the pot to stop it from blowing away. And then the pot will stay on there for two or three weeks, and I'll keep monitoring it. And what that does is it excludes light from the shoots. So those shoots are looking for light, and it causes the plant to go through etiolation, which is a stretching out. So this is how they make white asparagus. They will either cover them with buckets or, or mound up the soil around the asparagus plants so that um, the asparagus turns white and, uh, and it, it grows bigger and it'll be more tender and mild in flavor. And so I do this with hostas. I do this with sea kale. Sea kale is a perennial vegetable that was popular in England 200 years ago. Um, It's uh, more like cabbage than kale, actually, in flavor. Um, And it's the shoots in the spring that were popular, and they used to blanch them 200 years ago using clay pots. And uh, so the shoots in the spring are just wonderful as a vegetable. So I would blanch my hostas and my sea kale and maybe my asparagus, And when those are ready, uh, they fill the bucket, and then you're ready to harvest them. So you just cut them right down to the ground, and then all of those plants will send up more shoots, and you let those live. And then you take those and uh, coat them in a little oil and a little salt and pepper, and then roast them in the oven for 20 minutes at 375, turning occasionally. And that's your roasted side vegetables, and they are fantastic. I'd put a little bit of butter on top, and, uh, and then you just have those with, with the trout fillets with a little lemon, and uh, you're good to go.
1: That sounds absolutely mouthwatering. It sounds really delicious, and it's amazing that these spring vegetables, um, you know, can be so wonderful. You probably wait all year for them, eat them, yeah. and then you let your pr- plants grow and do their thing afterwards. Right. And then you have right. attractive plants in the garden, too.
2: Yes, exactly. Now, there are certainly some perennials that come along later in the season as well. Daylilies are a fantastic edible perennial. They're cultivated, there's thousands of acres in Taiwan dedicated to daylily cultivation for the unopened flower buds, which they call golden needles. And this is a really valuable crop to me because so many of the perennials are only really available and at their best in the spring then I, I value anything that's coming along right now, which is when the daylilies are, are coming along. So you can eat the unopened flower buds, but you can also eat the flowers themselves. Hmm. You can eat them raw. You're not supposed to eat too many of them raw because they can cause digestive upset. But if you cook them, you can eat them all day long. And they're very nice as a vegetable, and they're quite substantial. So that's, uh, that's, so would that's you, one that you can enjoy.
1: Would you steam your daylily flowers? Is that what you would do? <laughs>
2: sure yeah i've actually battered and fried them to great effect they make an excellent tempura so that's one way of eating them and you can stuff them like you would zucchini flowers um and then you can have them in soups and stews they often dry them in china uh to save them for the winter And then they reconstitute them in soups and stews.
1: And again, does it matter if you've got the fanciest, you know, daylily cultivar that you got from your garden center, fabulous colors? Is every single daylily edible and safe Every single
2: daylily is edible, but some are nicer than others, especially fresh. So a lot of the yellow flowered varieties are the best for eating fresh. Uh, Some have sort of a strange aftertaste that I'm not terribly fond of. Most of the yellow daylilies lack that completely. So there's a very common variety uh, called Stella de Oro. It's a short daylily uh, with big yellow flowers that blooms for nearly two months. And it's an excellent one for the edible forest garden.
1: I have an email here from Bev. Very interesting email. She says, hi, Susan. I love your show. I'm listening from home, uh, Hornpain in northern Ontario my question is how many of these edible perennials will survive over the winter in zone 2b and would they need winter protection to survive here thank you
2: zone 2b that is a tricky climate zone i'm in zone 5a here and so uh i i certainly do know that uh some things that i grow will work well in zone 2 In fact, I had a recent email from somebody who bought plants from me and brought them up to Timmins, and many of the plants that he bought are surviving up there, which is great to hear. Um, On my website, under the plant profiles, there are climate zone listings for the plants. So that's one resource to go to. Uh, Just look on my website and see what's appropriate for Zone 2. But I'm always experimenting with, plants that aren't supposed to grow well in my climate zone uh so i grow plants that are supposedly uh will only survive in zone six or seven and uh and quite often they'll surprisingly survive here it seems as though people just haven't experimented um with these plants in colder zones enough to recommend them for those zones so if i were you i would um experiment with you know, plants that are appropriate to zone two, as well as zone three and even four.
1: I think that's great advice. Try them. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. You're just throwing things in the ground and seeing what sticks. Is is that your approach? or
2: That's exactly it. Yeah. I'm always trying to see what will survive where. A lot of the plants that I grow haven't been grown before in Ontario, not to my knowledge anyway. And so a lot of them are from England or other parts of Europe or China or Korea. And in in those areas, a lot of the time they will say, oh, this plant loves full sun. Uh, but then if I grow it in full sun, it suffers in the heat of our summer because our summers are much warmer than, say, those of England in general. And so those plants do better in the shade. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll plant some plants in the sun and some in the shade and see what does better. So I'm always trying out different different things in different locations. I'm working with heavy clay soil here too. So in a way it's challenging because in the spring, if it stays wet like it was this spring, then uh, the soil just doesn't have a, a chance to dry out and it holds onto water and so plants can drown in those conditions. But clay is also high in nutrients. And so once plants do get established, then usually they do pretty well. But I'm, I'm always careful not to plant in lower zones, in, in, in pockets that will hold the moisture.
1: Hmm. Um, we got an email here from Sue. So Sue writes, my, applaud to your, my applause to your radio show today from Oklahoma City. This topic is so intriguing and the way that you presented it is so clever. Great. Great. Thanks. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, Sue. Thanks so much for writing in. That's great. So you mentioned... um, Oh, we got another one that just popped in here from Pam. Uh, Oh, this is a good question. So Pam asks, how did you come up with the name Fiddlehead Nursery? So Pam's in in New York City.
2: That's a good question. Fiddlehead Nursery, the name came to me as fiddleheads are the spring shoot of the ostrich fern which grows wild in the beaver valley where i live and it's also one of those perennial vegetables that people are generally more familiar with so a lot of people have heard of fiddleheads um so i thought that that would indicate that i grow perennial vegetables um but it's also a whimsical name and i just like like the sound of it hmm. sort of rolls off the tongue
1: sounds pretty good actually it's interesting when we were talking earlier you mentioned a plant called udo u d o yes. and and uh, what is that i've never heard of that
2: yeah um not many people outside of japan have heard of udo but most people in japan know about udo it's a really commonly foraged wild edible and it is probably one of the most productive perennial vegetables in the world. Udo can, be, can grow to be nine feet tall in a season, and then it'll, it'll die down to the ground. So it produces a lot of biomass, and it's the spring shoots that are relished in Japan. Um, they're usually lightly cooked. Um, it's, uh, the, the scientific name is Aurelia cordata, and it's related to spikenard, which is a, a wild edible that you find around here, uh, but it's much bigger than spikenard, and uh, so I grow it. it. It does really well in the shade, so I grow it in the shade of my apple trees, and it is a delicious perennial vegetable. Um, when you cut the shoots, you have to peel them because they're a little bit fuzzy, so, um, but it's pretty easy to peel. And then you just cook them for about three minutes, and I usually use a dressing with them of um, a little sesame oil with some sesame seeds and maybe some crushed peppers, and you can just have them as that. As that. And so although it's lightly cooked, it's known, a, known as Udo salad in Japan.
1: The other one that, that you had mentioned before that I was intrigued by, a little Google search I found interesting, Skirret, S-K-I-R-R-E-T. That's a historic one, right?
2: Skirret is a root vegetable It's related to carrots and parsnips and yeah it was used extensively in the roman empire they cultivated scurret for the roots and it was a cultivated vegetable in europe up until around the middle ages when it fell out of favor Uh, some people postulate that the introduction of the potato sort of pushed scurret out of popularity but i grow it and it's really easy to grow and to cultivate it as a perennial vegetable You dig it up in the fall, and then you can divide the plant and replant half of it and eat the other half. And each plant has a bunch of carrot-like roots. They're white. They're about the thickness of your finger, and they're about eight inches long. And you can uh, clean them off and eat them raw, or you can cook them. They're delicious roasted. They're very sweet, and uh, they taste a little like carrots, but um, they have their own unique flavor. And... It was the Emperor Tiberius's favorite vegetable. Apparently,
1: hmm. well, if we have another dinner party in the fall, we could use that as a starchy side dish, perhaps with Jerusalem idea. artichokes or something like that. So, yes, yeah, another
2: another great root vegetable that's native to North America is called groundnut, and I've just recently started growing groundnut with my skirt Groundnut is a tuberous perennial uh, that has. Uh, twining vines that will grow up the skirt, so they make a really nice companion uh, plant uh, combination. Mm. And groundnuts are about the size of a small chicken egg when they're full size, and you can dig them up, and they come along strings. And I, I cut cut them off the strings, and then throw the little ones back so that I get more coming up, and then you can just roast them like potatoes. Oh, they're yummy! Very
1: nice. That sounds so delicious. Okay, so um, something we didn't think about before, you know, we we need to have a dessert. Um, You know, do you have any (laughs) rhubarb crumble in the freezer from an earlier harvest or something like that?
2: That's a great idea. I love my rhubarb. It is, you know, rhubarb makes a fantastic ground cover. You can go to an old farmstead that's been abandoned for 50 years and they'll still have a thriving patch of rhubarb. So it really is one of the easiest vegetables to grow. And I'd say rhubarb crumble is a fantastic idea for a perennial dessert.
1: You know what? I'll bring it. You've provided everything else. <laughs> I'll bring the dessert. How's that? Because that, my rhubarb, oh sounds, boy, it produces a lot. Actually I think I need to divide it. It's like so big now. Really. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these
2: are, are very easy to propagate. The hostas, seen the sorrel, the rhubarb, you can just dig them up and cut them in half and then you've got more plants you can
1: share them with friends and you can just grow more and eat more and yummy and delicious yeah so okay well guess what it's time for us to pick uh the winner of the contest today and i'm going to do this together with you okay ben so i have in my hands i've got a little bucket here with a whole bunch of entries everybody who emailed in and you say stop when, when I have the right sort of piece of paper in my hand, when you want the person okay. to win, okay? Tell me when you're ready. All right, I'm ready. Okay. You said that just as I was holding on to this one. Phil in Manitoba wins the book today. Hey, that is nice. super great and exciting. Phil, I think Phil was one of our first guests, uh, f- first emails today. Well, congratulations, so. Phil. Yay. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. What fun.
2: Ah, that was great. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we'll have to do this again sometime, different season, different foods. Um, But thank you so much for coming on the show. We will talk again soon.
2: Sounds good. Okay,
1: you take take care care and goodbye for now. Bye-bye. That was Ben Caesar of Fiddlehead Nursery in Kimberley, Ontario. And that was so much fun. Uh, a virtual meal of perennial vegetables. It's just amazing to see what what a variety of things you can grow so easily.
0: I know I'm hungry.
1: Oh, there's Gary in the studio. You are, aren't you? Oh, gosh. Snack time now as soon as we end the show. Well, that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to listen again or download other episodes, you can find them all at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. Hey, and just a quick reminder, this month I'm offering a free fruit tree care mini course. It's my fruit tree fundamentals video and ebook bundle. And you can sign up at orchardpeople.com workshops. You'll have seven days access to the course. And the workshop is good for both beginner and intermediate level growers. I do hope you enjoy it. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care training website orchardpeople.com. Thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to digging into a new fruit tray care topic with you next month. you have been listening to the Urban Forestry radio show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com/podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month, and each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at @urbanfruittrees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again